Commentator Roger Nishioka recounts a conversation with a young person during what he calls the heyday of the What Would Jesus Do movement, that time when everybody had the, the wrist bracelet that said WWJD. The young woman was troubled by the challenge because she recognized she was fully human and couldn't expect to know what the fully human and fully divine Jesus would do. Reflecting on that experience, Roger wonders if it would have been more appropriate to wear a bracelet that had the initials WWJBD. What would John the Baptist do? Or maybe reading today's story, we would try WWAD. What would Andrew do? John, the writer of the gospel, gives us a different perspective on Jesus' baptism and call story of the first disciples. And it was so different from the other gospels, those are termed the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that some in the early church suggested John probably shouldn't be in the canon. Thankfully, those voices did not prevail. John's inclusion is a good reminder that we should respect the witness and the tradition of different parts of the church. Each will have something different to tell us about Jesus, just as the different New Testament writers come with their unique perspectives. John the Baptist says he did not recognize Jesus as the one sent by God until after the baptism when he saw the Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. And thereafter, John called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John finds his message has changed. Instead of preparing people for the arrival of Jesus, John proclaimed a new message. Look, the Lamb of God. John, who held center stage, retreats into the shadows and tells his followers to go follow someone else. Here's the one I've been telling you about. Here's the one who was baptized with the spirit that I saw descending. The Gospel of John has what is termed a high Christology. We are told up front who Jesus is, as opposed to the synoptics, again, that lead us on a journey of discovery. At the same time, the personal interaction in John's Gospels are very earthy and very textured. They are bursting with details. In today's passage, those details show us how the call of the disciples happened in day-to-day, simple human interactions. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist told Andrew and another disciple, They followed Jesus. Then Andrew found Peter and brought him to Jesus. What would John the Baptist do? He pointed to Jesus. What would Andrew do? He followed and spent time with Jesus and then went and invited his brother Peter to meet Jesus as well. We speak a lot about the word call in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition. Pastors are called. Elders are called. Deacons are called. Church members find themselves from time to time called to a special ministry in the church. And church members also sometimes relate how a secular career path took on special significance when they sense God moving, 
calling them forward into a new future. But beneath, like a foundation upon which our lives are built, we are called as disciples of Jesus. It bears asking for each of us today, what's my call story? How did I wind up being a follower of Jesus? Or if you don't happen to consider yourself a follower of Jesus, how did I wind up sitting in church today? When Andrew and the unnamed disciple, who might well be the writer of the Gospel of John, followed after the Lamb of God, Jesus turned and he asked the two of them a question. What are you looking for? It's the kind of question we might ask a person at your work or at your neighbor in your neighborhood who had that lost look on their face. Jesus was asking Andrew and this unnamed disciple this question because they were lost. They needed a Messiah and they were struggling even to identify that need. And they responded with a question. It showed that they were searching. Where are you staying? Jesus' response sounds so normal, but it is once again an answer that invites a deep dive into a new relationship. Come and see. Who introduced you to Jesus? Who pointed you in his direction? A mother? A father? A grandparent who took you to church? A Sunday school teacher or a VBS teacher? A friend? someone in a youth group, leader, or a fellow student? That answer is likely not going to be a single person. Many Christians have played a part in my own story of call to Christianity and being recalled to discipleship again and again. And I know that's the case for every single person here. Simple statements and questions with deep meaning are part of our call stories. Behold the Lamb of God. What are you looking for? Come and see. You want to know what it means to share the gospel? That's it. Statements, questions, invitations. To share the gospel, we point to Jesus, the one who rescued us. We ask questions of those who are searching, offering them genuine interest and curiosity about the journey. And then we invite them to come and meet Jesus. Statements, questions, invitations. They happen every day in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And when we place Jesus at the center of those conversations, those statements and questions and invitations become evangelism. They become life-changing. So we're called to be disciples. Who are we called to follow? Who is this Jesus? And the Gospels give us so many names. Light, healer, living water, redeemer, so many more. John points to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jack Miles points out this metaphor is a radical departure from the royal imagery common to most of the descriptions of the Messiah. John the Baptist points to him as the lamb, and John the writer of of the gospel makes clear at the crucifixion that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus takes away the sin of the world by taking it upon himself. 
He does so without revenge or retribution upon those who executed him. The temple curtain is rent and humanity is welcomed into God's presence. No more barriers, no more distinctions, no more limiting who is welcome because of power or money or reputation or race or gender. The sin of the world that built barriers and that feeds the forces of discrimination that cause all the isms, the racism and the sexism and all the other ugly divisions we build has been taken away by the Lamb of God. This is a weekend on the secular calendar when we honor the work of Martin Luther King Jr. And recognizing the nonviolent way in which Jesus took the sin of the world is a worthy way to consider the meaning of that day. The image of Jesus as Lamb of God has deeply influenced the world. Tolstoy interpreted the Gospels through this image, leading him in his resistance against imperial power in Russia. Henry David Thoreau wrote about nonviolence, but also saw the need to call out the pacifists of his day, who he felt were being co-opted into support of slavery. Jesus certainly was never co-opted by any of his enemies. Gandhi, of course, put nonviolence into action and include with it a strong adherence to the truth, something John the Baptist, who never pulled any verbal punches, would certainly applaud. And Martin Luther King, Jr., of course, proclaimed nonviolence, leading others to practice it in the face of dog attacks, fire hoses, lynchings, and bombings. That same approach powered a resistance movement in South Africa that transformed that nation. Does nonviolence that strongly holds to truth and call out evil mean anything in our world? Is it a nice theory that no longer holds power? I would say in a world racked by terrorism, where enough nuclear weapons exist to wipe out humanity, where some of those weapons are in the hands of highly erratic nations, where the Middle East seems to be on the verge of a conflict that could develop into a world war, and that's been true for quite a while, where politics deeply divide our own nation, I would say we absolutely are in need of a savior who shows us how we can react to sin not with violence, but powerfully with truth and with love. And it should start with us, certainly, in our everyday human interactions. One of the best ways to point to Jesus is to follow the example of how he lived. Do we speak the truth in love? Do we express genuine curiosity about others when they're searching? Do we welcome all who come to Christ? at this table and this font, when we encounter hatred and anger and what we deem as lies, do we take a breath, step back, and ask God to show us how we can speak God's truth, not our truth, and really show how much we love the other person, even if that person sees sees life in a very different way than we do. King had principles that undergirded his philosophy of nonviolence. They work well in everyday human interactions as well as on the broader scale when we're resisting evil. Principle one, nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. 
It is active, nonviolent resistance to evil. It is aggressive spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Two, nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. The end result of nonviolence is redemption and reconciliation. And the purpose of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. Three, nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. Nonviolence recognizes that evildoers are also victims and not evil people. The nonviolent resistor seeks to defeat evil, not people. Four, nonviolence holds that suffering can educate and transform. Nonviolence accepts suffering without retaliation. Unearned suffering is redemptive and has tremendous educational and transforming possibilities. Five, nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Nonviolence resists violence of the spirit as well as the body. Nonviolent love is spontaneous, unmotivated, unselfish, and creative. Six, nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. The nonviolent resistor has deep faith that justice will eventually win. Nonviolence believes that God is a God of justice. We are called as disciples to follow the Lamb of God. God showed us how to love others and how to meet evil in the world. And this is a huge and hard calling as I read those things. I, I thought about just the context of our families, how our families could be transformed if we learned to do this just a little bit better, because we've all had struggles in that area. God did this this example he gave us, this taking away of the sin of the world, God did this through love and through incredible human interactions, simple and basic. God invites us to emulate the love of God and to point to him with our actions and our words, resisting evil and showing love to everyone. And our world certainly needs that witness today. Amen.